Thank you, Mr. President, and uh, just the greatest privilege of my life is to serve as, as vice president to a president who's keeping his word to the American people and assembling a team that's bringing real change, real prosperity, real strength back to our nation. Thank you, Mike. You may be the first president in history to go down because you can't stop inappropriately talking about an investigation. Is that policy in writing somewhere? Uh, I, I think so. I took it as a direction. I mean, this is the president of the United States with me alone saying, I hope this. I took it as this is what he wants me to do. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Josh King, author of Off Script, guest hosting this weekend version of the show. Trumpcast is the show about the man who is a show man with show cabinet meetings an event planner non-pareil, whose idea of choreography and stagecraft at the White House rivals the very best bar mitzvahs. Let's hear just one nugget more from the cabinet meeting this week, unlike any other. Good morning, Mr. President. Uh, uh, while we're bragging about international travel, I just got back to Mississippi. <laughs> I love you there. <laughs> And uh, I want to congratulate you on the men and women you've placed around this table. The, the holistic team of working for America is, is making results in each and every area. Working with Secretary Ross and uh, Ambassador Lighthouse and Secretary Mnuchin and, and, and uh, Tom Price and Scott Pruitt. This is a team you've assembled that's working hand in glove with, for, for the betterment of America. And I want to I thank you for that. These are, are great team members, and uh, we're on your team. Thank you, sir. So what's it like to be in the room where that happens? To be ushered in like cattle to the abattoir, unaware of what awaits you beyond the threshold of the cabinet room door. Reince Priebus ready to fawn. James Mattis to the president's immediate left, making that instant calculus on how to pivot to something a little more dignified. And what, indeed, is it like to be in the room where it happens on Capitol Hill? 216 Hart Building, fired FBI Director James Comey at the witness table, the full membership of the Senate Intelligence Committee arrayed before you for high-stakes testimony. And finally, what's it like to be in the van where it happens? A hastily assembled presidential motorcade Coursing through the blocked-off streets of Washington, Donald Trump and his wife, Melania, en route to MedStar Hospital Center to visit a grievously wounded House Majority Whip. The ticket to being in the rooms or vans where all this happens? Be a legendary photographer on the White House beat. I'll be talking to Doug Mills of the New York Times, his images regularly on the front page of the paper. We'll be talking about the first 150 days of the Trump presidency and the last 10, which might have rivaled them all. Hey, Trumpcast listeners, producer Jason here with just one message before we jump into today's show. Are you a Slate Plus member yet? If not, why not? With Slate Plus, you could get ad-free versions of Trumpcast along with bonus segments. 
This week, you can hear me chat with Alex Ward, a staff writer over at Vox, about the all-star team Bob Mueller is assembling for the Russia investigation and for the investigation into our president. You can try Slate Plus for free for two weeks by going to slate.com slash trumpcastplus. That's slate.com slash trumpcastplus. Now, let's get to the show. Doug Mills joined the New York Times in 2002, coming over from the Associated Press, which is how I got to know him when he covered President Clinton. He joins me between events at an undisclosed location near the White House press briefing room in Washington. Doug, thanks for joining me on the show today. Hey, Josh. Happy to be here. How are you? Good. First of all, Doug, when you strap on your equipment, you never know what chaos might be coming right in front of you. Tell me about Wednesday in Washington, quiet morning and then shots ring out at a baseball field in Arlington, Virginia. Yeah, so came in early, um, started my shift at the White House about 7.30. president wasn't expecting the press corps there until 9, and then I got a call that there was a shooting in Alexandria, Virginia, and I was downtown already walking into the White House, so I called our intern and said, hey, Al, get on this. Uh, There's been a shooting down in um, Alexandria. I have no idea other than that two Capitol Police officers have been shot. And at that point, didn't know that the congressman had been shot, and uh, he was off and running from his house. And uh, then spent the day here at the White House, obviously following the details, fully expecting the president to make some sort of announcement uh, at some point during the day to talk about the congressman's uh, condition, give us an update on the shooting possibly, and just his condolences and so forth for everything that's going on. Sure enough, we got that uh, in the morning. You know, we went into the uh, diplomatic room, as you well know. I saw the ru- I saw that picture, Doug, and I saw the room, and it occurred to me it's a room that gets used for events now and then, but it's not a typical place for a presidential statement. In fact, am I correct that he's never come in the White House press briefing room to answer questions or to make statements? That is true. Uh, as of today, we've yet to see him come into the White House briefing room, and I don't know why. I guess maybe it's just a he doesn't like the, the setting or um, doesn't have a comfort zone there, but he certainly likes to have a, you know, the Blue Goose podium there. And uh, usually that takes a little time. And obviously that would give all the press corps a heads up if he was coming in there because you would see Secret Service, you know, setting up the room. WACA, the White House Communications Office would have to set up the room. So uh, we had no idea what room it was going to be in. And then all of a sudden an uh, email came out from the White House press office gave us about 15 minutes notice that the president was going to be making a statement in the diplomatic room. And so then you're basically, are you given a lid for the rest of the day and share with our listeners sort of the significance of when Sarah Huckabee Sanders or someone from the White House press office assures you that there's a lid for the day? Yeah, on a typical day during the Trump administration, uh, a, a, what's called a lid means the president's not going to leave the White House and go out and do anything. He's not going to go to dinner somewhere. He's not going to go to an event. So. When the White House press office gives us uh, an email and tells us over the PA that there's a travel photo lid, which means you can go home, basically, but they still can issue statements by email. And yesterday, much like it has been, Josh, for the last um, month or so, we've been getting really late lids because of all the breaking news given on Russia and the investigation. We have not been getting lids here until sometimes 10 o'clock at night. And that doesn't mean that the president is planning to do anything. They've just kept us here not knowing if the president was going to make a statement. 
It's guy, very unusual, but that's that's what we've been doing. A guy like you has to always have your gear close at hand, ready to be ushered out to the south drive of the White House to load up into the motorcade to go anywhere. Were you expecting a movement to the hospital, to MedStar Washington Hospital, to allow the president no, to pay a visit to no. Representative Scalise? No, we were we were not expecting it because we kept hearing throughout the day that his condition had worsened from what everybody had thought and that he was now in critical condition and had been through surgery. And if you've had surgery before coming out of surgery, is you know, it's not the easiest thing in the world, depending on how long you've been under. And obviously uh, with a gunshot wound, we didn't think that he would be awake or aware enough to, to see the president. So uh, we had not gotten a lid yet. So we were all sitting around the white house wondering, and then there was another story that came out about um, the investigation with Robert Mueller. So, you know, we were still hanging around thinking that, well, maybe the president's going to make a statement. And sure enough, we got an email saying uh, the travel pool need to assemble by the palm room doors and be ready to leave in 15 minutes. And we really were not given any guidance of where we were going. We asked our Wrangler, the White House press office person, uh, the Wrangler, somebody who is in charge of the 13-person travel pool that leaves the compound with the president every time in two separate vans. And we asked them where they were, where we were going, and they said, you'll know when we get there. And um, once we drove past Trump International Hotel, we knew he wasn't going out to dinner because, again, it was his birthday. So we didn't know if he was going to go and celebrate his birthday. So as we went past there, we knew, oh, he's not going to the hotel. Maybe we're going to dinner. And then there were rumors flying around that he, that we were going to the hospital because I think there were tweets from around the hospital that traffic had been stopped up around the hospital at Washington Star Hospital. So, you know, by the time we got there, we knew where we were going, but it wasn't a lot of notice. No. You know, back in the olden days of uh, of presidential movements, uh, when you and I were both kids, we used to secure during campaign trips the Ford Country Squire station wagon to allow TV camera people to hang out the tailgate and shoot above the roof of the car to watch the motorcade in action. Last night, you put on Twitter sort of video of the motorcade en route to Washington MedStar. Was that an uncommon move for you? Yeah, I normally um, I'm inside the van um, in each each one of the two press vans. There are two large sunroofs uh, that allow either a TV camera person or a, a still photographer to stand up and take pictures. And normally on any other travel pool, um, I'm not there. I'm sitting down in a, in a seat. And last night I thought, you know, given the significance, maybe he is going to the hospital. Maybe he is going out to dinner. First. I just thought it would be, you know, a different uh, take on what the motorcade looks like for people who don't regularly see what happens. And uh, so I climbed up in the hole and uh, it was quite a bumpy and windy ride. You know, you feel the bugs hitting your face and People are looking at you like, why are you sticking out your head out of the van? But you're, I mean, you're out of the van all the way up to your waist. But it's a great perspective on the motorcade. Let's go back to last Thursday at 216 Hart. That's the Hart Senate office building on Capitol Hill. You may be the one photographer for the New York Times, but you came to work with four cameras ready to fire simultaneously. Why did you do that? This is for James Comey's testimony between, before the Senate Intelligence Committee. Right. I mean, that, that hearing had been given so much hype. Obviously, it was a big story. You know, it was like the Super Bowl of uh, hearings, you know, and the Super Bowl, I take remote cameras and I kept thinking, you know, this is such a big hearing. I can't be in one place or can't be in more than one place at one time. So to take advantage of that, I um, 
you know, I spent a few days ahead of it, thinking about it, gathering the equipment, testing it out. And then, um, I think I got up at four o'clock in the morning and was on the hill by five and started my day really early in that room and started setting up, just pre trying to preconceive where Comey was going to walk, what door he was going to come in, where he was going, if he was going, we didn't even know that he was going to be sworn in until maybe 20 minutes before the hearing started. So we set up a couple cameras, one through the window, directly looking at uh, Director Comey, one directly behind him, but up elevated, one directly below the, the desk where he was sitting. And that was pretty much just there for the, for the swearing in. The other ones were there to just try and give a feel of the room. And then my fourth camera, I put on a monopod and raised it up about 18 feet in the air just to try and give a bird's eye view of what the scene looked like. Because, you know, when you see it on television, it's, it really is not a fair representation. It doesn't give you a, a real feel of how much of attention is being, you know, played on this one man and every word that comes out of his mouth, everybody's sitting on their edge of the seat. So, you know, I was lucky enough to capture that picture that showed the whole swarm around him. As you're working, Doug, you're trying to fire both the camera that you're holding on the pole, plus three other remote controls that you've preset. Are you focused completely on your craft or are you acknowledging and understanding how frankly bizarre this moment is that a fired FBI director is implying obstruction of justice at a sitting president of the United States. Can you absorb the, mag- the, the largeness of the moment? Absolutely. And just hearing you say that gives me chills because you are wrapped up in the, the event and you see the director there and you understand that how the importance of this in our history. And there were People, Senate staffers who were brought there, either college students who were already home from school, and they brought them in to witness this, too. It was an extraordinary event. And like you said, I mean, to have the former FBI director contradicting or basically calling the president a liar doesn't happen every day. It's never happened during my time in Washington. I've been covering this place for over 30 years. So it was a hearing that, from my perspective, needed to have a lot of effort ahead of time. And I needed to be on my best. And, um, you know, I knew the New York Times was going to be eating up every image that I threw their way. And I threw hundreds of images up that day. And um, it's one for the history books, that's for sure. Again, our listeners can catch these images in the Twitter feed of Doug Mills, at Doug Mills NYT. So let's then move fast forward from that kind of a planned scene where you were thinking for days about what you were going to get on Capitol Hill to Monday of this week, Doug, a cabinet meeting, the first full one during President Trump's term in office. You know, when the pool is summoned to go into the cabinet meeting to get what we call a pool spray, you think you might see, you know, 30, 45 seconds of action. What did you expect coming through the door and what did you actually see through the lens? Well, it, it, again, um, it was a very unusual photo op for us. And as you said, as you well know, having worked at the White House yourself, going into a photo op like that, traditionally you're given maybe 30 seconds at the top to see the room. You're, you're panning around, you get a couple of pictures. And if the president makes a statement, I fully expected him to make a statement about the fact, hey, I finally got my full cabinet together and here they are. And he spoke for a little while, made a couple statements about it, and um, then talked about their agenda and everything. And then, really unusual, he went around the room and 
asked everybody to basically introduce themselves. And um, when they introduced themselves, they praised the president for, you know, showing it was a really unusual. I mean, I, I've never taken so many pictures in, in a cabinet room in my life. I mean, you got a full gallery of every cap- potential cabinet member in your archive. Yeah, I've got a headshot of everybody who spoke. And uh, there were people even on the sidelines, the pictures that haven't been published yet of Steve Bannon and Jared Kushner and Kellyanne. They were all there. So I could look around the room and pick them off and, uh, you know, make pictures and that are great for the files. And when they're doing stories about them, they're great to have there. But there were some also some really nice moments there, too, to have Bannon and Kushner behind the president. You know, you've, you've all read stories about the fact that they don't get along or they've had, you know, there's rumors of them not getting along or having testy moments during the early parts of the administration. So having those pictures there and just, you know, it was a really unusual, long, long cabinet room. I mean, to your, you've got a great uh, radar for this, Doug, because you've been through thousands of them. You know, the ones that we planned and the level of stagecraft and scripting that goes into them. Do you feel like this was what Trump had in mind when he started going around the room? Or do you think, you know, it picked up steam and momentum as it went along and people tried to say, ah, this is going to be the praise the president session and I better one up the guy or lady next to me. You are spot on there, Josh, because that's exactly what the, it felt like a wave. I think uh, the first person who spoke was uh, Jeff Sessions or first the vice president, excuse me, the vice president spoke. He talked about what an honor it was to serve as his vice president. And then Director or, uh, Attorney General Sessions spoke right after that, directly after him. And um, it went on from there. And everybody kept praising him and praising him. And the only one who probably didn't do it was Mad Dog Matt, as he really just basically talked about him serving you know, the country and uh, what an important job he has. And um, you know, there were plenty of funny lines. The uh, CIA director said, listen, Happy to serve you, sir, blah, blah, blah. And then he went on and said, and I'm not going to say any more because the press is here, you know, which got a nice laugh from everybody in the room. But um, it was a really unusual. And you're right. They were just trying to, you know, one up and one up and one up. And it, it became a, a, a love session, that's for sure, for a cabinet room. So, Doug, you're about 150 days into the Trump presidency. By this point, you probably have some views on how does covering this president differ from Obama, Bush and Clinton before him? Oh, yes, we have. Since he became president, we've spent a tremendous amount of time here. And normally, after the first 100 days, things kind of quiet down a little bit. You get into a rhythm, and the president gets into a rhythm, and there's a lot more or a lot less chaos, I should say. But covering, covering President Trump has been um, – we've had more access to him in this first 150 days than we did to Obama in the last three years. I mean, we did not have the access that we're getting now. We're getting into – Every executive order signing, everything that he's, you know, every bill signing, uh, we're getting into a lot more meetings. Hopefully that continues. But, you know, people were fearful in the press and rightfully so that he was that we were not going to get a lot of access to the president. But I think he, he likes photographers. I've, we've not heard any complaints from him. He's usually very cordial to us and says hello. And um, he's not shy from the cameras at all. I, I was going to say, Doug, the president has kept you very, very busy over 150 days. And yet, you know, your style, your eye is seen in a lot of other things around the calendar of the year. So what what can we look forward to that's not Washington over the next few months from you? Uh, good question. Uh, I'm heading out next month. It is a little Washington related, though. It's not here in Washington because 
the Women's U.S. Open Golf Tournament is being held in Bedminster, New Jersey this year. And if you've heard that name before, it's because Donald Trump goes there on vacation and he has he owns a resort there. And so the tournament is actually going to be at his golf course. So uh, I traditionally cover the, the, the men's U.S. Open, which is happening this week. And this year they said, hey, uh, we're going to switch you up. And uh, how would you like to go cover the, the women's U.S. Open? I said, I've always wanted to cover that. Where is it? And they said, it's going to be in New Jersey. So that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure there'll be some more sporting events coming up. I just booked my airline tickets today, as a matter of fact, for the, the Olympics uh, next February. And um, it never ends for me. Luckily, it's, it's really busy and uh, I'm uh, constantly on the go. Trying to keep me young, Josh. Doug, as always, uh, just when you get to Korea, stay away from the demilitarized zone. <laughs> uh, staff photographer for the New York Times, Doug Mills, thanks so much for joining me on the show. Josh, it's an honor to be on your show. I really appreciate it. Great talking to you. And that's the show for today. Did you like it? If so, reach out to us on Twitter. We're trying something a little new here and would love to hear your feedback. You can reach us on Twitter at RealTrumpCast. That's at RealTrumpCast. Today's show was produced by Jason DeLeon, and I'm Josh King. Thanks for listening to TrumpCast.